0: what's working on purpose anyway each week we ponder the answer to this question people ache for meaning and purpose at work to contribute their talents passionately and know their lives really matter they crave being part of an organization that inspires them and helps them grow into realizing their highest potential business can be such a force for good in the world, elevating humanity. In our program, we provide guidance and inspiration to help usher in this world we all want, working on purpose. Now, here is your host, Dr. Elise Cortez.
1: Welcome back to the Working on Purpose program. Thanks for tuning in again this week. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez, joining you live from Dallas, which is home base for me. If you've been tuning in for a while, you know this program is a thought leadership series that enlightens and inspires listeners with insights from distinguished business leaders and subject matter experts. Our conversations are designed to elevate your thinking and entice you to take a conscious and inspirational approach toward leadership and business. Before we get to the program today, let me give you two announcements. The first is we've launched Gusto Now, which is a growth and transformation e-learning platform dedicated to awakening meaning, passion, inspiration, and purpose in people, leadership, and organizations. It features leadership development and other professional development courses in English, Spanish, and Portuguese, delivered by yours truly. You can learn more at gusto-now.com. The second announcement I wanna share with you, I'm so excited to say that my book is, is now out on, on Amazon. It's called Purpose Ignited. How inspirational leaders ignite passion and elevate cause it's actually due for release November 17th though you can pre-order it now thank you very much for your support it was amazing to finally get it out there now on this week's program with us today is Norman Wolf. he is the founder and CEO of Quantum Leaders which is a leading voice in bringing about a transformation of the core paradigm of business he is a 15 year veteran of Hewlett Packard has led and consulted with companies large and small and he's the author of The Living Organization an application of the core principles of how the world works and how organizations can create extraordinary impact. We'll be talking about the paradigm shift necessary to help business evolve to its best, the central element of energy in doing so, and dive deep into a few of the core elements that really distinguish Norman's work and model. Norman, welcome to Working on Purpose.
2: It's a pleasure to be here.
1: It's amazing that you're here. Let's just give a, a shout-out to you, if we can, because you reached out to me on LinkedIn a few months ago and just said, hey, you know, why do we talk? Got a few things in common. And um, it has been magical ever since. I'm so glad that you took the leap to reach out to this stranger. Yeah, thank you, Elise. It has been magical, and I've enjoyed it thoroughly. <clears throat> it's it's uh,
2: it's such, such a pleasure to meet people who are uh, so committed to helping facilitate this this period of transformation we're
1: going through. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I've been, had a few conversations along the way leading up to this one, um, and we've been talking about something that's really important to you, and what you keep saying to me is that, that now is the time for this major paradigm shift, that in order for business to reach its full potential, leaders and organizations must completely change their view of themselves. So for our listeners who have not been eavesdropping into those conversations, tell us more about that paradigm shift. You know, I've
2: Excuse me, there are two forces going on if you think about them over the last four or five decades. One, employee engagement is abysmal.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: People just don't enjoy what they do. Second, the ability for leaders or organizations as a whole to achieve their strategic objectives is also quite abysmal. You look at the statistics put out by most of the consulting firms and many of the academics, the failure rate of of achieving the objectives of strategic initiatives is 70%. 70% fail. Mm -hmm. Um, 30% do succeed, so let's not take that away from those who are being successful. Isn't it amazing that we have an organizational framework that isn't doing very well and at the same time isn't? creating environments where the very people who are chartered with executing what has to be achieved aren't very satisfied. Something was fundamentally wrong. And as I looked at the proliferation of new ideas, new theories, new models coming out of academia and consulting groups, um, whether it be uh, creating agile business coming out of the you know, IT agile movement, right? Let's apply agility to the business or lean improvement methodologies or now we've got reinventing the organization and teal and new ways of working and self-management, self-organizing. We're still failing. So I thought, hmm, something more is going on. We've got very smart executives, very talented people. Something is fundamentally wrong. And that's where I decided that the problem is the paradigm. Simple definition of paradigm, how we see the world, what our worldview is, what our, some people these days like to call mindsets. And it's that mindset that causes us to do what we do unconsciously. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I delved into that and said, well, what would be a better mindset or a better paradigm than the mechanistic Newtonian view of the world where everything's a machine part and, and we just follow this, you know, if we understand all the machine parts, we can figure out how to create something. Well, that worked great at one point in time. I, I don't want to take away from it. The Industrial Revolution was based on it and we've had, a, say, 100 years, 150 years of success from it. It just doesn't fit today's world. Something new has to be birthed. Something new has to be created. And what I think it is, is let's look at an organization as a living being. It has a lot of those same attributes. And what we're calling for in organizations going forward is um, the attributes that we would associate with a living being as opposed to a machine. We want them to respond. We want them to create environments that support others, we want them to be caring, Uh, we want them to be agile, we want them to adapt and learn. Machines don't do that. Human beings do. So Mm -hmm. I created Mm -hmm. a, a new model called the living organization.
1: Well, and I've got to share just a couple of things that I thought were such pearls, because as you know, I read your book cover to cover, as I'm prone to do. And, and I love your definition. You say organizations are living, breathing organisms organisms with distinct personalities. They have a soulful purpose, which is the core reason a company exists. And the mission is how we express that. The vision is what the world will look like in the future when the soulful purpose is more fully realized. That is a totally different view than what you just described before about the mechanistic Newtonian Absolutely. way. And and you know, we've talked about it in, in companies
2: over the years as a perfect example, mission, vision, and values. But if you listen to the way you described it and the way most people think about it, there's a clear distinction in, in the way most people think about mission, vision, and values, it's a mechanistic approach. That's the old paradigm, co-opting and corrupting new ideas. And it just makes mm-hmm. it into a mechanistic approach, which has no energy to it, no, no life to it, no, no, it, nothing for people to engage around. But if you think about it from a point of view of it's, it's here to create something, to contribute something, to, to make a difference, and, and that we're going to take this journey of making a difference in the world, now people get excited about
1: that. Um, <laughs> Well, and that's where we get to evolution, right? So uh, you and I have had a couple of really fantastic conversations talking about energy and the importance and the necessity of change. And for me, when you talk about evolution, you say, which which asserts itself when a species or system no longer fits its environment and creates a crisis that forces the system to adapt to the new environment or die. So paint a picture for us, Norman, of how evolution relates to your living organization.
2: Well, let's start, you know, to, to really understand the living organization framework, it's really easy to think about you as a human being, and then just extrapolate that to a collective of human beings operating in with this, the same context, right? So think about how you change. You're going along just fine, you're happy, life's working, there is absolutely no reason for you to do anything different. Unless you're one of those few that forces yourself to constantly change, but most of us are just happy if it's working. Don't fix it. Right? Mm-hmm. True. If it broke? Don't break it. It's called apathy. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's it's called comfort, and and, yeah. and that's perfectly normal. We all seek that. So I don't want to take anything away from that. In my life, when I've looked at where have I had significant changes, it's usually come about by a major disruption in my life pattern. Yes. Right. Which causes me an internal dissonance, a, a, a dissatisfaction. Something begins to churn, right? It either comes internally by a dissatisfaction or externally by an event that happens to me. My wife decides we should get divorced, right? That, That's, right? there you go. Important catalyst for me too, yes. Now let's extrapolate that to an organization, and you see typically when organizations change is when they're forced to. Mm-hmm uh facebook comes along and completely disrupts our marketing models the internet comes along and completely disrupts how we do business these are evolutionary events Covid comes along Mm -hmm. so these are perfect examples And, and again it's natural and it's part of the evolutionary process why resist it why not learn to say okay COVID's here, something needs to change. Let's get creative and figure out what to do to move forward, just like we do in our personal lives. I say that intellectually, I know it doesn't happen that way. We go through the steps of death and dying. Hmm. We go the shock and then we deny and then we get angry and then we blame and then we bargain and then we go through all these things. But eventually, after we process through all that, which is really nothing more than a release of energy. I mean mm-hmm. as those stages for just releasing the energy and allowing the old to dissipate to make room for the new why not do that consciously and facilitate quicker movements quicker changes both on an individual level and in an organization so mm-hmm. embracing, embracing those things that appear difficult with compassion for self and others usually helps things move along much faster resisting them not so much not so much.
1: Yeah. Well, I want to take that one step further, Norman, because one of the things that you've, I think, said, it's probably in your book somewhere, but I know you and I talked about it, which extends what you just said, and it makes it even more profound, is you say that um, changing identity is a death sentence. Um, and that, I find that to be arresting and spot on. So kind of in what you're really saying is in order for us to move on to the next level, we have to let go and let that other previous Identity of ours die away in order to make room for something new and that that opens something for me And that's really dramatic. So say a little bit more about that
2: Well, you know the Chinese have a proverb may you die a thousand deaths before you die.
1: I have not heard that
2: It's a beautiful proverb if we learn to embrace it mm-hmm. uh, <clears throat> When I create my sense of self I invest a lot of time and energy in it over the course of my life It's my sense of identity. It's who I am, Now, if you really look inside of you, who you are is made of multiple people. And when, when something changes in our lives, it usually means that one aspect of us is no longer being called forward. It might even be being asked to go sit on the bench. And sometimes that's good, but a lot of times we have such a connection to it, it might even tie us to our family roots. My great-great-grandfather lived in this place and now the hurricane has come and there's gonna be a sadness, almost like my some part of my life is dying,
3: mm-hmm.
2: right? That's what I mean, but I mean, those are just some examples. I'll give you another one. When my mom passed away, there was a part of me that consciously knew was never going to be called forward again. I was the baby of the family. And whenever my mom called, I became the baby of the family. At the age of 40, I was still the baby of the family. But that little boy in me was no longer going to come forward. And part of my sadness of my mom dying was that part of me was never going to come out again. And that's a loss, that's a death. Hmm. Organizations go through the same thing. Everybody is used to working with clients in a certain way. We've got it all worked out and everything's cool. And we have this wonderful way of dealing with and selling these products. And then all of a sudden COVID hits and you're not doing that anymore. That's a death. That's literally a death of a being. So we got to allow that to process through, which is the grieving process, which is mourning, acknowledging it, appreciating it, and letting it go.
1: Mm -hmm. Oh, that's so beautiful, Norman, all of these conversations that we have. And so that brings me to the last part. The last thing I wanted to talk about in this segment here is um, you You focus. And here we are talking about energy and living beings. And so you say rather than, rather than an organization focusing on profit or money making, you said if we could change the way business relates to its role in society, which is partly identity, to its customers and to its employees, we can make a very large and very real difference. Um, And so then you went on to say that even you in the way that you you talk about your business, you say now when I'm asked about what the vision of quantum leaders is, the business that you run, you say it is to transform business around the world into environments that support and enhance the dignity of the human spirit as they collectively express the spirit in service to society. That is so beautiful. Thank you, thank you. And it's taken me a long time. I wrote the
2: book and published it in 2011, so it's nine years out now. And over the nine years, well, I'll tell you this little story. John Mackey, CEO of Whole Foods, who wrote the forward to my book, when I gave him a copy, he said, Norman, now you get to live what you wrote.
1: Oh, that's right.
2: Those prophetic words. So for the last nine years, I've had a look at what's my internal way of being, what, I, what do I have to let go to fulfill the purpose that I have and Mm. that's been my journey for nine years now
1: and and it continues i continue to discover it mine too same thing for me and in fact we have to talk about this you refer to yourself as the hospice midwife
2: what does that mean oh wow so i've known for a long time that i am just part of a uh, facilitating a change that's happening regardless if i'm not here uh, it's still gonna happen because it's part of the evolutionary journey. Right? Life is morphing. And so we're caught up in the in the changing process. And so since it's life itself is birthing something, I look at myself as a as a midwife. Mm-hmm. I'm facilitating the birthing process that wants to happen. And that's really what the work of quantum leaders and the living organization is all about. It's a way of helping that new way of being, that new way of working come into into, uh, birth, into life. But at the same time, nothing is born without a death. Change just what we talked about, change does not happen with something that we're comfortable with going away. So part of my journey is to hospice, that which needs to end. And so a lot of our work is is built around understanding that and being compassionate with it.
1: Mm -hmm. And stewarding it along. Norman, I'm so grateful to share you with, with our listeners. And listeners, what I hope you're hearing here is I hope you hear hope, possibility, inspiration. Um, we're going to talk more about this. Let's, let's let's grab our first break. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. We've been in there with Norman Wolf. He's the founder and CEO of Quantum Leaders and the author of The Living Organization, Transforming Business to Create Extraordinary Results. He joins us today from Vancouver, Washington. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
0: Now, back to Working On Purpose.
1: Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to Working On Purpose. If you're just joining us, my guest is Norman Wolf. He's the founder and CEO of Quantum Leaders, which is a leading voice in bringing about a transformation of the core paradigm of business. He has a 15-year experience at, with Hewlett Packard and has led and consulted with companies large and small. He's the author of The Living Organization, an application of the core principles of how the world works and how organizations can create extraordinary impact. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez. So for this next segment, Norman, I really wanted to focus on energy and energy is a really amazing thing. You and I have talked about that quite a bit and I've people oftentimes say to me, you're all about energy, I love your energy, and here you are, you've really done something amazing And I find what you say in your book riveting about this. You say, if everything is energy, which cannot be created or destroyed, it stands to reason that creating results is a process of transforming energy from one form into the form of our desired results. That is so profound. Tell us more about this notion of energy and desired results. Well, if I look,
2: once I came to the realization that organizations are living beings, the question was how the living beings create outcomes, how how do I create, I've had experiences where sometimes the outcomes happen so effortlessly, even to the point where I forgot I set that goal and a year later, it's like, boom, here it is. And other times I I struggle and I struggle and struggle and it's difficult. What's going on? And that's really what I wanted to set out to accomplish, not only for myself and my personal life, but for myself as a leader of organizations and in consulting with leaders of organizations. And what I concluded was, and it's part of my engineering, mathematical, scientific background, um, if everything is energy and energy can't be created or destroyed, then obviously, what we're doing is playing with energy. So what is that energy? In my book, I describe three fields of energy, the activity, what we do, and how we do it.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: That makes sense, you, know, you can look at that as kinetic energy. You can see it, it's, it's energy expressed But there's other energy fields that come into play as well. Some lie in the field of potential energy waiting to be expressed and some actively being expressed. And the other two fields is what I call relationship energy. Relationship energy is the energy of interaction. And it it takes on two meanings for companies. One, internal to the company, it's the energy with which people interact together and if you just think about that from an energy point of view, contributing to the production of an outcome, if there's harmony within the team, if the team supports each other, we call that synergy. The definition of synergy is often referred to as two plus two equals five, right? You get more out of it. In, in, in physics term, in engineering terms, you have got two waves, energy waves that are in phase with each other and so amplified.
3: Mm -hmm. Conflict,
2: we know what happens with conflict, nothing gets done. Everybody's busy arguing and bickering and, and nothing's happening, but that's two energy waves out of phase or attenuating down to close to zero, so nothing's happening. So again, from a pure energy perspective, you can see the dynamics in an organization being represented as fields of energy. We're either actively focusing our efforts or we're distracted by conflict in relationships or we're being supported by supportive relationships and there's more energy to contribute. The third field of energy, oh and, and the other part of relationship energy is external and this recall the energy of experience now there's a lot of talk today about customer experience
3: Mm
2: -hmm. if you think about what an experience is it's really a uh, a a energy that's that's branded inside the experience of a of another human again it's a relationship exchange it's not a transaction so when we optimize customer experience that's very different than optimizing customer transactions and often we confuse the two because again, we think in the, in the mechanistic paradigm, oh, so if we optimize the transaction, the customer will have a better experience. Mm-hmm. That's not the case. So you look at Starbucks, it's a cup of coffee. Go to AM, PM, big deal, you're buying a cup of coffee. Spend seventy. why do I spend $4.50 at Starbucks? It's the experience. It's the it's the energy of walking into that place. It's the energy of somebody smiling at me. It's the energy of being greeted by my name and somebody remembering what I ordered the last time because I'm a regular. That does something to me as a u- human being. The interaction, the the relationship, creates a different experience. You can think of it as in a service business, easy. But think about uh, Steve Jobs and his products. He 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 was so. Fanatical about the user experience. Mm-hmm. Right? That his products weren't the best in the world, technically, but his products were the best from a user point of view. Mm-hmm. His margins went up compared to commodity products like PCs because of that value of the experience. Mm-hmm. So, relationship energy really key to the outcomes we create. And the third is context. Context is really best understood as. The framework I have inside of me, so as an individual, I hold a context about what how life works. And it literally defines one, what I see as possible and not possible, and two, the way I respond to events that show up in my life. So it's like an energy pattern that causes me to filter everything through that causes my responses and my beliefs. Okay? And they come out of the stories we tell. I won't go I mean, going into context will take a long time. So just to give you a clip, in an organization, the same thing happens. An organization has a contextual field of beliefs about how, how life works. It Starts with the founder, but then it grows as more and more people come into it and it begins to build the storyline. Like any community, it has a a way of being, what's important, what do we believe in? How do we respond to customers? How do we respond to suppliers? How do we respond to each other? And and, and it's often referred to as culture. Mm -hmm. Culture is the expression of context in our model. Mm -hmm. Context is the belief systems, the underlying, call it psychic DNA or the, or the, the programming, of the, of the way we are together, which causes us to express in, in what you see as our culture.
1: Mm-hmm. So let me take this home for our listeners and viewers, because this is so, so important. It's such an important part of the work that you have here, Norman. So I want to distinguish this. So you, you refer to that as the arc. So A again for is activity. And what I wrote down for my notes is, again, that's the energy of doing. Yep. What we do, it's linear, it's cause and effect, it's yep. categorized left brain, and it's mental intelligence, IQ.
3: Yep.
1: So Listeners and viewers, just understand, just distinguish that. Now, contrast that to the R, relationship, which is the energy of interaction. Mm-hmm. And that's who we do it with, communication, empathic, patterns, right brain, and an emotional intelligence, or EQ. So yep. really, really huge. I really appreciate how you have got a comprehensive view of that. And then, of course, the context which includes the culture. So I just wanted to make sure that our listeners understood because there's so much meat in that model, uh, Norman. So I just want to make sure that they got it beautiful. Um, all right. Anything else you want to say before I go on to the next thing I wanted to talk about, which is money?
2: Well, yeah. Since you brought up IQ and EQ, mm-hmm. I want to like that it's an SQ.
1: Oh, yeah. We're going to talk about that later. Hold that thought because that is so, so important. Hold that thought because we're totally not going to pass without talking about that. Okay. Well, the other thing that you said that I just really compelled me is um, you also go on to say that all results and even money is energy. That is very intriguing. Tell us how. Well, I'm not the
2: first one to say that. I think Lynn Twist talks about the energy of money. If everything is, is um, energy, then everything is energy. So money is energy. So on one level, that's a simple explanation. But think it from this point. When I'm interacting with somebody – whether I'm providing them a service such as a consulting service or a service such as a waitress in a, in a diner, um, I'm exchanging something with them. I'm giving them something of myself of, that they perceive has value.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And, and that, that contribution is energy. Now, if you translate that to a product, the people who help design the product, create it, they put their energy into the manifestation of that product, creating a certain value which they are then sharing with somebody. Mm-hmm. Energy has to be balanced, so if I give you energy, you're going to give me energy back, in one form or another, right? That's just the law of nature. So the process of commerce if you will is just an exchange of energy one type for another because it can't mm-hmm. be created or destroyed so i give you a product or a service you give me something in return now it used to be goats or sheep or casks of wine or loaves of bread um, but that got really cumbersome so we said we'll give you paper <laughs> and the paper will represent now we give you bitcoin so you don't even have paper anymore <laughs> Once you my credit card it'll be electrons in the system but all we're really doing is exchanging value for value and that's the important thing. Mm-hmm. And so that's really what money is, it's just an exchange, it's a medium to exchange value in a easier way than goats and sheep and milk cartons and all that cumbersome stuff. And even money now, nobody wants to handle paper money, mm-hmm. you know, credit cards or bitcoins or you know, some other electronic transaction.
1: Mm-hmm. I think that really opens something, Norman. So when you consider that, that money is energy, I think that that, that gives possibility. It, it, it gives a, a clearing for people. So I just really appreciate how you distinguish that. And and then adding on to that, you have to talk about this concept that I thought was so great. Um, you talk about how we communicate our messages is, is really through our own internal state. So speaking about energy exchange here, and you say, of course, we can control this, this, in, this internal state. Um, but and how this talk about how this concept manifests in individuals and or, in organizations. Will you say more about how it is that we communicate through our internal or did you say inner state?
2: Uh, either one, internal state, think of it as a state of being, right? Mm-hmm. So, and, and think about states of being probably easiest to understand if you think about emotions because emotions carry energy, right? And the energies yes. are cause our bodies to be in a certain state so think about what your body feels like when you're in a state of anger
3: mm-hmm.
2: or frustration right the body is usually tense it's got heat to it I mean energy right now think about your body in a state of of um watching a sunset and see or seeing a baby smile mm-hmm. or just being in, on a beach watching the the ocean rolling and the sunset over the horizon. And all of a sudden, you're in a state of calm and peace and relaxation, and everything's okay. And think about what your body feels like in that kind of state. Right? Now, if you go into, say, a relationship with somebody and you're in a, a conversation and you're in an angry state inside, but you're trying to select your words carefully, guess what they're going to experience? right they're going to sense they're going to feel because what you're transmitting along with the words it's this energy that lies within you mm-hmm. if i walk into a room i just had a consultant share with me i, I was just teaching a workshop which we just launched uh actually our, our pilot was over the summer and we're going to have the first uh public one starting november 3rd and i was taking some consultants through some of the stuff And one of the exercises we do is teach them how to shift their state of being Mm. so that they enter into a more what we call heart-centered, connected uh, place with, with people. And he said, you know, I was in the conversation, I was coaching this executive, the CEO, and I just shifted myself into that state. The CEO did not know what I was doing. And yet he said, she changed, and she actually said to me, something's different. Mm-hmm. He opened up and not only opened up but discovered some new things just because he was in a different state that's what mm-hmm. I mean by that statement it's mm-hmm. powerful powerful when we become conscious of what state of being I'm in when I'm in a relationship
1: mm-hmm. and again that goes for individuals, teams, companies organizations and, and it's such a powerful concept that's why I had to have you talk about it it really grabbed me for a lot of the things that I'm doing in my personal life and my business so Absolutely. beautiful Norman, beautiful All right, let's grab our last break. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. We've been on the air with Norman Wolf. He's the founder and CEO of Quantum Leaders and the author of The Living Organization, Transforming Business to Create Extraordinary Results. He joins us today from Vancouver, Washington. Stay with us, we'll be right back.
0: Now, back to Working On Purpose.
1: Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to working on purpose if you're just tuning in my guest is norman wolf he's the founder and ceo of quantum leaders which is a leading voice in bringing about a transformation of the core paradigm of business he is a 15-year veteran of hewlett packard has led and consulted with companies large and small he's the author of the living organization an application of the core principles of how the world works and how organizations can create extraordinary impact i'm your host elise cortez so for this last segment here, before we get into it, I want to I share something with you listeners and viewers. Uh, as Norman and I began our conversations a few months ago, he, in one of the conversations he said, you have to meet my friend Ellie. He said, sometimes when I talk with you, I forget that I'm talking to you and I think I'm talking to her. Just talk to her. So of course, we took you up on that and immediately had an, an amazing conversation and we saw why you connected us. And... It is about energy, and I want to share uh, listeners and viewers that Ellie's up to something remarkable. Uh, she is out to create an energy institute, um, and so she's. So, if you look for her, she's in New Zealand. Um, Ellie Tahar is her name, and I just wanted to share. You, know, when you start, enormous at the beginning. When you when you just put yourself out there and you just do it on faith and out of out of goodness from your inner state. Amazing things happen. So I just wanted to give her a shout-out as to what she's up to in the world. It certainly smacks of, of this conversation. So comments before I go on to the next question?
2: No. Ellie's a wonderful person with a beautiful heart and, and really committed to doing wonderful things. She, And just to kind of ground her a little bit, she was a CEO of a pharma company, New Zealand Pharma, and now she's also a CEO of a, a company that's uh, helping ne- Nepalese women bring their products to market and she's working magic throughout the whole global supply chain to help this. She's a beautiful person.
1: Mm-hmm. She really is. I'm so grateful that you introduced us. And that goes again back to, you know, just the notion of, of, of energy and exchange and just, and I would say the way to say it is riding the wave. Yep. Right. That's what you and I've been doing for the last few months now. And here we are together online. So, or on air, um, Okay, so the next thing I want to talk about, and this gets to what we've, it'll build on what we've been talking about so far, but you say, and I quote, experience is the energy that lies underneath the activities of the interaction of your people, processes, and products. It provides them with an unseen but quite real jolt of energy that either repels or attracts them to you, unquote. Tell us more about that. Well, you ever wonder why some
2: companies, well, again, I use Starbucks or Apple, draw a crowd that becomes almost evangelistic. Mm -hmm. In a mechanistic way of thinking, we try to understand it by talking about brand identity. I gotta tell you, brand is a byproduct of the energy that people experience.
3: Mm
2: -hmm. And it goes to this relationship energy I talked about earlier. It, It really is something tangible that's why you can't spin your way through crisis. If you're not authentic, people feel that energy. They do, I mean, it's just, it's so palpable, but we pretend it's not. And Mm -hmm. here's here's a perfect example. Go into a room of people that you have no knowledge about and just stand and observe for a few minutes. You'll pick up exactly what they're feeling. You'll know. Or you just sense it, or walk up to somebody you're close to, and you feel something's wrong, and you can just feel it, and you'll say, "What's the matter?" And they'll go, "Nothing," <laughs> and you go, "Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, everything's fine. I'm just okay. I'm just tired." No, I don't think so. Where does that Where does that knowledge, that awareness, come from? Well, it's it's literally energy. The body is like an antenna in the field of energy that surrounds us. And when we learn to tune that antenna to different frequencies, we pick up all sorts of information. Uh, in, in When in my HP days, we were taught how to do management by wandering around. <laughs> goes back, I know this concept. Goes, goes back many, many years, decades. Um, in, in Lean Operations, they talk about the Gemba walk, which means go to the place where it's happening. Hmm. And people think that you just go and observe. No, you don't just observe with your mind or your, your, your eyes. You observe with your body. You feel what's going on around you. Okay. And there's so much information in that little, in that sensing. Right? So this, this field of energy that I talk about, recognizing that it's all energy, is just so useful to really know what's happening some people might call it reading people well you can you can put all sorts of names on it but just recognize it's just energy and the bad the body is literally designed to sense energy and we trust our experience of the energy we experience rather than the words said that's why people are either authentic or they're
1: not mm-hmm okay now we get to go take it another step further and talk about that spiritual uh quotient you're talking spiritual intelligence so another really compelling idea is you say and i quote the next frontier is to expand our ability to assess one's one skill with the with the use of context energy spiritual intelligence or sq um, and then you go on to say companies such as nokia unilever mckenzie shell coca-cola hewlett-packard um uh, uh, merch pharmaceuticals and starbucks are using models for developing and measuring spiritual intelligence i was blown away by that thrilled to read that tell us more about that well as
2: i said earlier you know when i realized that eq was really in some ways a, a measurement of of emotional intelligence i began to search for so how do I measure context? I, again, I'm a, I'm a manager, I'm an executive, I'm an engineer, so I know the importance of what you measure is what you get. So if I can measure activity, we have all sorts of tools for that. And now that we have this thing called EQ where we have some tools to measure emotional intelligence or our ability to relate to each other and relate to each other's feelings, What about SQ? What about emotional, uh, spiritual intelligence or context intelligence? At the time I was writing the book, there was two things happening. One is I read Donna Zohar's book, who wrote a book called Spiritual Capitalism, I think it was, or something along those lines. (laughs) And at the back of the book, she had an assessment instrument. Simple, I don't remember how many questions, 12 questions or 20 questions, that gave you a sense of your spiritual intelligence. And then I came across a woman named Cindy Wigglesworth, who wrote this, uh, spent years developing this um, assessment instrument she calls SQ21, Mm -hmm. which is trying to measure what she calls spiritual intelligence. I had some... I don't use the word spiritual intelligence as much now as I used to because it carries some baggage, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. And and I say unfortunately, it's just sort of a reality. A lot of people hear the word spiritual intelligence and they kind of rebel against it. So let me break down what spiritual intelligence really is. It's really a degree of maturity. Hmm. If you think about what it means to be mature over time, And the easiest way to think of it is contrast, a young child, two to five years old, a teenager, late 20s, early 30s, midlife, 40s, 50s, and then a senior, elder, 70s, 80s, 90s. And what you see is a pattern of maturity, hopefully. right? That's part of our goal. And when you look at that, you'll see a pattern of me and mine and now, right? Real tight. And I only care about myself in the very young. And it begins to expand in terms of a sense of who I am and how I relate to the world. And I can handle more different points of view. I become more solid in my point of view, but less rigid about it, less defensive, less dogmatic about it. I, I have an ability to both be in relationship with my own point of view and with other people's points of view i can handle uncertainty and complexity more because i have more experiences that tell me i'll be okay okay things are happening but that's okay i've been through this before and i don't die or i die and reborn however you want to look at it based on our earlier conversation (laughs) so spiritual intelligence as as measured by Cindy's SQ21 is really giving you indicators of where you are in relationship to values and the way you live them and the way you can appreciate other people's values. So if EQ is how you relate to feelings and emotions of other people, SQ is about values and how we relate to our own and to others. And, and, and I say values, I should say values, beliefs, core assumptions, and how fluid and flexible are we about those? So, SQ becoming more and more recognized as a as vital, still in its early days, it's only been 10, 12 years now. If you look at EQ, it took about 20 years before EQ actually got it more and more mainstream. And even today, people are still discovering it. Uh, So I suspect in the future you'll have SQ and EQ as part of the way we evaluate or, I hate evaluate, provide feedback to people to help them grow. Mm -hmm. That's the way I like to look at these tools.
1: Well I really really appreciate reading that. I had never heard of this before and of course this show is really a thought leadership platform that stewards the conversation toward advanced meaning and purpose in the workplace because really what I'm out to do norman is to help leaders create a workplace where people actually want to come to and they can thrive. And we can start to talk about notions of spirituality in the workplace and certainly as and as an organization and that organizations are living breathing beings that needed need to be continually nurtured and grown and and to evolve. Well, that's that's why I wanted to have you on the show because you steward that conversation, you advanced that conversation.
2: Let me, can I just jump in and add one thing to what you just said? And, um, and I say this in my book, like, yeah, towards the end of the book. Um, it, it, since we're changing the paradigm, one of the things I paid attention to which was the new role of leader. And so in the machine paradigm or the machine worldview, we look at the leader's role as plan, lead, organize, and control.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So fundamentally, the, pl- the leader decides what the machine is supposed to do, programs the machine, so to speak, and people execute it.
3: Right.
2: In the new paradigm, the leader shifts their role from plan, organize, lead, and control to set the context, right? Because the context mm-hmm. is a defining field and it helps guide everything else. Develop the people. And when I say develop the people, I really should say develop the organization because you're developing the collective body in both the capabilities and its maturity. So you're developing the whole living being. Um, Build community, because community builds a sense of belonging, which is one of the three innate needs of human beings. belonging, contributing and growing are the three innate needs of human beings so build community where they feel a sense of belonging and where customers feel like they belong
3: mm-hmm.
2: and be of service which is a way of giving to the society something of value where you're enhancing society overall so those are the four responsibilities i was giving that speech early on when i was just uh, introducing the book to the world and somebody in the back i remember saying wait a minute that's what religious leaders do. So, <laughs> it stopped me. It literally stopped me. And and I said, you know, you're right. Perhaps the CEOs of the future will be the spirit, spiritual leaders of our society. And I actually wrote that at the end of the book, too. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, I, you know, where you're going, what you're doing with purpose and meaning, that's that's at the core of context is is the expression of our purpose and meaning. It's taking a field of energy and giving it shape, and that's so important. And I, I do hope that spirituality, the essence of spirituality, which is to grow and develop and contribute and to add to life, becomes uh, the reason companies exist.
1: I do too, Norman, and I, that's absolutely why I get up in the morning and do what I do, and and I I look for people like you to come on the show to advance this conversation. And as you know, I use the 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 show's platform really as a way to catalyze my ongoing thinking, growing, learning, as you and I've shared. Each of us recognize that we are on an ongoing journey. Everyone is, and then the opportunity is to get present to that, and you know, be in gratitude about it, and let it carry you along. Which I hope listeners and viewers that you got from this conversation. I hope that you're all feeling elevated by this conversation. I certainly did the moment I met you, Norman. I felt elevated, touched by an angel, and then when I read your book, I felt slightly smarter. <laughs> well, If it's
2: only slightly smarter, then slightly smarter. A contribution I've given something to society.
1: Yeah, you, you absolutely did. I, I I thoroughly enjoyed it, and I really appreciate very much that you wrote the book and you're here sharing it, sharing what, some of the high points of it. And with that, here we are at the close of the show already. Um, okay. So knowing that our show is listened to by people across the globe who are interested in the notion of increased meaning, purpose, and passion in the workplace what would I like deliver listeners with today
2: go on a journey and be courageous begin mm-hmm. to look at the organization as a living being a child if you're a, if you're a leader a positive sense of a child a young adult let's say that your job is to help them mature into and and to contribute to society mm-hmm. and if you put on that perspective to start with a lot of things will shift for you
1: mm-hmm. That is so beautiful, Norman. Thank you so much for a beautiful finish for your beautiful soul. It's great to be able to share you with my listeners and viewers. Thank you for being on Working on Purpose.
2: My pleasure. Thank you for having me.
1: Absolutely. Listeners and viewers, if you want to learn more about Norman Wolf, his book, The Living Organization, or the work he and his team are doing, go to quantumleaders.com. Last week, if you, the, if you missed the live show, you can always catch a video recorded podcast. We were on the air with Australian Rob Bruce, the founder of Go All In Movement, course, and podcast, talking about, you guessed it, what it takes to go all in and left to get the results that you want. Next week, we'll be talk, taking a totally different turn than, than we have in most of these shows. We'll be talking with a previous guest named Danny Gutneck, and we'll be turning the tables, and he'll be interviewing me to showcase the technique of essence mining. So we'll be, we'll be showcasing my journey to purpose. See you there. Remember that work is at least a third of our life, so let's work on purpose.